One big thing we're learning with Type Weekend right now is when you bring so many people in from so many different places around the world, it's absolutely beautiful, the amount of stuff that's out there that we just haven't uncovered as a type industry yet. Hey everybody, I'm Micah Rich. And I'm Olivia Kane. Welcome to the weekly Typographic. Our weekly episodes talk about type and design news, but we've got a bonus episode for you today. We're chatting with a designer that's innovating the field through education and their practice. It's going to be fun. Let's jump in. This week, we're interviewing Daniel Nisbet. Daniel is a graphic designer and type designer based in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Most recently, he's been hard at work organizing Type Weekend, a brand new online type conference for those who see, draw, make, study, and sell type. We are beyond excited for this event, and it takes place September 24th through the 27th, and registration is now open. Daniel's also been running his own practice, Nisbet Creative, for 10 years and currently juggles his independent practice with a full-time job as a senior designer at the multinational law firm Reinhardt Berner Van Duren. On top of that, Daniel is consistently creating educational content for the type and design community at large, including a YouTube series on how to design type and his 2018 podcast series, Five on Design, which offered handy tips on graphic design and freelancing. Welcome, Daniel! Hi, thanks so much for having me. I kind of want to start out like, how are things going with Type Weekend? You are my main point person for (laughs) learning about the conference and hearing updates. Um, You know, we're friends with Thomas here, so we hear a little bit from him. Mm -hmm. But I know you're one of the main organizers and working super hard. And I just like want to get our whole week audience hyped up for this conference. Perfect. So uh, yeah, we've been busy with getting everything organized. At the beginning of the year, we had planned for this to be unique, that it was going to be an online conference. Of course, then COVID hit. And uh, now I guess everyone's going online, but I've got some awesome helpers. You had mentioned uh, Thomas Jockin. I've also got uh, Jess McCarty. I've got Aaron McLaughlin. And then uh, we've also got uh, Anaga Narayanan. And I apologize, Anaga, if I I'm struggling to get her name right. Uh, So my apologies if I didn't get it right. But anyway, I mean, we've also got a ton of great volunteers as well that have been helping out. And yeah, we've we just uh, launched a huge list of speakers, which in my wildest dreams, I I had told a lot of people, you know, if I get 10 people excited about this, you know, that would be great. But uh, I think we're just over 70 speakers. We've got a bunch of cool workshops lined up. Oh my goodness. Um, Yeah. And then uh, we've got a unique event uh, called Chancho Va that will be kind of ending the day on, I think we've scheduled for Friday, where it's this neat thing where people get to pass around different type specimens and collectively create a type specimen. And they'll be doing that live as as kind of a fun little event to wrap things up. So, and then on top of that, as if we didn't add enough for for anybody who's interested, we've also got an EduX type component to it. And, and it's a, a wonderful group. We've got a couple of leaders that are going to be taking the content that's being uh, talked about at Type Weekend and then bringing that back to the classroom and helping teachers be able to bring type education into classrooms from high schools to colleges and all sorts of other things. So we've that got a lot interesting. of yeah, we've got a lot up our sleeves that I'm really excited about. I wish that people could see my face. I'm like, it's yeah. a huge gasp. I'm like, this is amazing. I mean, Type Weekend yeah. was already something I was so excited about yeah. and looking forward to. And then when you guys opened it for, you know, speaker applications, I, of course, like wanted to get my name in there um, yeah. just because... I think that's like an amazing, unique aspect, but even kind of taking the content from Type Weekend and helping it live on and beyond in other educational, you know, funnels. Oh, I'm so excited. 
Yeah, it's so good. Yeah, one of our our goals with this kind of backing up a little bit, which I I suppose you're probably going to ask anyway, but with my my background, with my design background, I grew up in the middle of the U.S. uh, in northern Minnesota. And and one of my struggles was that I never really had a whole lot of uh, accessibility to learning about type or learning about font design that you might see mm-hmm. on like the coasts in the U.S. I was able to find things, uh, you know, way way back when the league was starting out. That was one of one of my resources. So I've I've known about the league for a very very long time, which is kind of awesome, you know, going full circle here. But beyond that, I, I didn't have access to things like the Type at Cooper programs or anything of that nature. So it was kind of me trying to figure things out along the way. And with Type Weekend, one of our core things was that we wanted to make it more accessible. We wanted to make it more inclusive because at the time I was in Northern Minnesota, you know, and I'm struggling there. What's it like for somebody who's coming from a place like India or, uh, you know, elsewhere that who knows how much more they're struggling trying to learn about their craft or to, you know, broaden their knowledge about types. So we're really hoping by making this free, by extending the conversation after the the conference as well, that uh, we can get more people interested in type, get them started on their journey, get them a little farther down their type journey as well. That's, That's really kind of the goal and the philosophy behind it. I love that. I'm super curious too. How did you start getting interested in it? How did you start teaching yourself? Yeah. So for me, it started out by just drawing letters. And if we look back, probably drawing them air quotes wrong. <laughs> but I was taking an interest in type. And, and initially, it was like trying to figure out why fonts like Helvetica looked better than Arial to me. There was always mm. something about it where I'd look at it and I was like, there's something that just sits better with me. And I'm the kind of person, you know, I was the kid who, you know, I'd, I'd tear apart my dad's radio or whatever right before a game or something. And of course, get get a little, he'd, he'd get mad at me for it. But But it was kind of the same philosophy where it's like, I had to figure out why this worked. Why did it look so good if I designed a logo and set it in Arial and then I designed it in Helvetica and for some reason I liked it more. Uh, So I started drawing these letter shapes more and trying to figure it out from there, but it would never look right. And so that just started me down this rabbit hole and uh, eventually finding, you know, different sites, you know, books, all that kind of stuff, just trying to pile on as much uh, knowledge as I could. Uh, you know, based on kind of the limited resources that I had at the time, which not to date myself, it was a little bit pre-internet. So, yeah, um, you know, not everything right away was a quick Google search away for me. I, I do think that that has changed a lot, but there's still like, even now there is information that is on the internet, but it's mm-hmm. still so hard to find. It, it is. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm glad it feels like as of lately, it's starting to turn the tide a little bit that we're starting to see more out there now. Uh, Lynn, who you just uh, recently interviewed, you know, she's got a great course, which when Type Weekend's done, I'm actually going to give that a, a proper go through. <laughs> I'm, I'm really excited for it. Yeah, I mean, beyond that, it's uh, as I started getting more into it, I had a lot of technical questions, you know, like why is a certain letter this shape or why is it a certain width or what's stroke orders, you know, all these like uh, detailed and complex questions. And, you know, really that's even kind of what got me into the YouTube channel as well was I had all these questions and, you know, trying to find all these answers and whatnot. And eventually I just had to sit down and go, I need to start compiling this somewhere because I'm also a person who tends to forget things after a while, <laughs> you know, so it's, I, I need like this resource to, to go back and go, you know, why did I draw this, you know, letter H in a certain way or what was I thinking when I was doing this? So it, it kind of turned into a way for me to record as well as hold myself accountable as well to kind of keep progressing and, and continually learn and improve. Ideally, I want to get more people on board with that and show them that I, I think when I started out, it was easy to, to look at this as like a big monster that I was trying to tame. And in reality, 
if you break it down a little bit, you take a couple letters at a time, your control letters, you know, things of that nature. Type design doesn't have to be that hard when you're starting out. You can actually make it pretty easy if it's a limited character set or, a, you know, a style or whatever. And by doing that, it, it encouraged me to keep going that I didn't have to design Helvetica out of the box, for example, that, that I could start mm. with something much simpler. So yeah, it's, that, that's kind of my, my goal with, with all of this really is, is just encourage people. I love that you mentioned Lynn, and that's Lynn Yoon, everybody, for our listeners. Um, I know she's Lynn casually to us, typers. Um, but, you know, she had a similar thing to say during our interview with her, you know, saying that the coasts are at this advantage being on the west coast and having san francisco type community and being in new york you're at an advantage because there's a type community type of cooper where is that for anyone else living in between those two places or anywhere else in the world that's right. you know a major just gap in the accessibility world and you know that's why i was so excited about type weekend about how global it was because mm -hmm. you know here in the U.S., we forget. I was talking to a new type friend that I made, Satsuki, and she is a type designer in Brazil. And she said that there's such limited resources just translated to Portuguese, which is the main mm -hmm. language there. Even something like that, I don't think about on day to day, to be quite honest. And then that gets brought up, but I'm like, wait, yeah, you're right. Like, where are those resources? And, you know, as someone that was trying to design type as a senior in college, not even that long ago in 2012, I was scouring the internet in like the weird corners trying to find articles. I was reading manuals for FontForge on how to design type because there was just yes. like nothing yep. digestible. I'm yeah. curious, do you have any books off the top of your head that you use? Because I use um, Designing Type by Karen Cheng, who I know is yes. speaking at Type Weekend, which is She exciting. is, yes. And, and that uh, was actually one of the first books. I would actually, I have my bookcase behind me and I would pull it out, but at this point, the binding is like cracked up and I'm, I'm afraid the pages are going to go everywhere. Uh, I need a new copy of the book, I think. But actually, I, I have to reference my name here. It was Type Tricks by Sophie, I'm terrible with names, Bayer, Bayer. Oh, I don't know, I don't know this. That I don't think I've ever yeah. heard of this one. Um, yeah, I ended up, I think I picked it up at, it was either TypeCon a couple of years ago or the AIGA conference, but it's a condensed version of a, a lot of what Karen has in her books. And what I like about it is when I'm kind of in, in the mode as I'm going and designing, sometimes you just need that quick reference or, or just a quick reminder of, of what you're doing. And for me, it's just, a, it's a quick flip. I've got a bunch of pages tagged and whatnot for my, my common reference points. But yeah, those two books, Designing Type and then Type Tricks have been my two main go-tos just to, to continually remind me of rules or even uh, tricks. Because, um, you know, as we know, I mean, type is full of all these little tricks, like unwritten rules almost that yeah. you, you don't really realize until you're like halfway through, like overshoot was one of the big ones that I struggled with. And I, I don't even know if that's maybe something that you ran into as well, but, but how many times I would draw like an H and an O next to each other and be like, why does that O look weird? It's the same, you know, size or whatever. You know, then later on you learn about something like overshoot and it's like, Oh, okay. You know, you've, you've got the, the optical tricks and whatnot. That's, it's definitely been uh, something that sits on my desk quite a bit. <laughs> That's gonna be so good. And I'm so excited to share that with the community. And I got to order myself a copy to like see what this yeah. is all about. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's it's a handy little guide that I, I like to have near me. 
Oh my gosh. Well, that's awesome. This has like been a great start to yeah. a very fruitful <laughs> conversation I know we're going to have. So I want to kind of deep dive a little bit into your background and get some more insights mm -hmm. um, on, you know, your creative career and experiences so far. Um, kind of a staple question here on our interview series is what has been the hardest part of your experience in the creative field so far? Yeah, it's, it was almost kind of tough to nail this down a little bit, but one thing that I, I, had really thought about was the comparison trap. I've always been one of those people, especially with the rise of the internet and, and just how much good design you can see on a daily basis. And it's not even just graphic design, it's almost any kind of design. But it's easy for me to fall into that comparison trap where often I look at something I create, whether it's type or advertisement or something like that. And uh, I mean, truth be told, it's, it's comparing what I'm doing to others. Uh, and it's been a challenge. Uh, I, I'm one of those people that wants to continually learn and continue to improve, but uh, there's always that part of me that looks at something and it's like, oh, that looks so much better. Why didn't I think of that? <laughs> so it's an easy trap for me to fall into. I have a question because I deal with this a lot as well. Do you have any way to kind of get you out of that mindset to make sure you don't get trapped in it? Yeah, it's for me, I have to remind myself, um, it, it's kind of like running a race, you know, like a, a marathon almost. And as I do that in real life, because I, I enjoy torturing myself like that. But um, but the one thing they tell you is you, you can only compare yourself to yourself. You don't know what that other person, where they're at with their training or or what their parameters were or where they're coming from. You know, and to me, that's a nice side, but that's one thing that makes design great is you've got all these different viewpoints and all these different perspectives and things of that nature. So naturally somebody's going to create something different than, than, you know, how you might do the same project. And I just have to remind myself that I'm doing the best I can with the knowledge that I have right now. Hopefully I learned something from it, but that I've just got to progress at my own pace and that I'm going to be fine. <laughs> it's, I, I think I'm doing all right. So does that work when you tell yourself that like, are um, is, is there any is there ever any time when you think that and you're still sort of like shoot but their stuff is so good you know yes yes oh it's um some days it feels like i'm telling myself a lie when i when i just right. get done saying all that especially like when dribble came along and all these amazing websites mm. were coming out that's probably when it hit me the hardest was uh, just seeing all that because prior to that i was uh, in the middle of north dakota and minnesota and that was my bubble if you will and then all of a sudden it just gets blown wide open and now all of a sudden you've got people from all over the world sharing this stuff and it's like oh i'm not doing that great according to myself mm. but it, what had helped then what helps now is that i've got friends or you know even my boss that are really good cheerleaders that can pull me aside and say you know what you actually are it's it's a little bit external validation i know but somebody who can come in with that extra perspective to say you actually are doing a good job you're hitting it out of the park and things like that help as well just just to get a little that's so support. relatable i get that i feel like even with myself i do the same thing with the league mm -hmm. and for however many years i've been working on the league by myself and suddenly you know working with olivia like working with olivia is the thing that that ended up making me feel better about it and it's so yeah. much about having some sort of like collecting some people that will be supportive of you and do things to help you when you need it. That's yep. such an underrated and massively yeah. important thing to have in your life. 
Oh, absolutely. And and that was so true, especially when I was a freelancer too. And your your own boss, you know, as, as much as my two dogs absolutely love me, usually it's related more to wanting treats than critiquing my work. Um, <laughs> you know, know, they might have a good eye. I don't know. Yeah, maybe I should, I should run it by them sometimes, see what they say. Just uh, shake for one or, you know, spin around for two or something. But, um, <laughs> you know, just, just having that, that extra feedback or having someone kind of by your side. Like when I was freelance, just working working for myself, I would get in my head so much. And mm. it's just me, myself and I. And it, yeah, having that extra voice there, that additional perspective helps so, so much. And especially when you are working by yourself, and it is that lonely in your head. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, for me, one of the things that has totally changed that is actually between between Olivia and Thomas Jockin, who you mm-hmm. mentioned earlier, like I meet with these two people with drastically different perspectives every week. Yep. And just forcing myself to meet with them even even when i'm like i I don't want to be doing this right now Mm -hmm. having people around you with other perspectives who are also supportive and making sure there's some consistency so what if it's external validation sometimes sometimes you need that you're a human absolutely yeah it's uh and it's always helpful, to, like you said, too, to get a couple different perspectives as well. And later on in my freelance career, that was definitely a lesson learned that I started hanging out with a couple of other freelancers that were in a similar spot to me and, and to be able to just pass some ideas back and forth because I'm sure almost everyone's been there where you're working on a logo or something at 3 a.m. and you don't have anybody to go, hey, what do you think of this? Or, hey, what do you think of that? It can be difficult sometimes. So to have someone else who could come in with a fresh pair of eyes or perspective and say, well, have you thought about doing this this way or that way? Or, you know, just to kind of get you out of your rut a little bit, I think helps quite a bit. I know I've been quiet, but I agree with everything you guys have been saying <laughs> and feel it, feel it mutually with Micah too. Cause I know yeah. that I get in my head and I get really, really flustered and like Micah and I will be having a regular conversation. And then at the end he's like, are you okay? And I'm like, <laughs> I just like dump all of my concerns and anxiety on him. And he's like, yeah. okay, take a step back. Like yeah. all of your concerns are real, but you're creating this new narrative and we have to bounce literally that same conversation back and forth. between <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think I think everybody, whether they admit it or not, they they go through something like that. And mm-hmm. um, I, I don't know of any designer that's immune from feeling that way in in some way, shape, or form. Totally, I think that's just gonna be really helpful. You know, because I listen to podcasts to try to hear kind of that sort of relatable thoughts that happen when you're just alone in designing. Mm-hmm. And along with those insights, we'd like to know what's the most important advice you have gotten mm-hmm. or would like to give on creativity and business. So it actually kind of goes into an extension of what we were just talking about, uh, self-care and how important that is. So my wife, Chelsea, she's a social worker. And for her, that's a very big part of her job. She works or you know, has worked in the past with, with a lot of challenging cases. And the one thing that she's really taught me that has translated directly to business is, is taking care of yourself. Particularly when I was freelance, it's so easy to work from sunup to sundown and, and mm. just not take a break to not taking care of yourself. And, and one thing I hear a lot of is, you know, physically taking care of yourself. A lot of people I know like go for walks or runs, which is totally important. But there's also the mental self-care too, because kind of as you both pointed out, we beat ourselves up, whether it's, it's over a, a design or being stuck in a rut or a challenge that we have. Um, it's easy to kind of let that go a little bit. And, and for me, that was always a challenge because I'm, I'm one of those people, my brain is going 10,000 miles a minute. Um, it doesn't stop. <laughs> 
And that was one thing that she really taught me that, that really helped, especially towards the, the later years of when I was a freelancer full time, just a little bit of self-care every day. If it's meditating for five minutes or just clearing your mind, in my case, you know, doing the dishes was even something simple that I could just go mm-hmm. take my mind off of it. <laughs> and also, you know, my wife was happy, you know, the kitchen was clean when she would come home from work. So <laughs> double bonus there. But yeah, things like that, it, it helps. And it, especially with the mental uh, aspect of things, it, it's so easy to, to forget about that when we're, you know, super busy with a project and we're trying to get it out. That's always been my advice is self-care. I like that that you suggested doing the dishes because I think self-care has been a buzzword uh, mm-hmm. lately and it's a good buzzword, but still I think sometimes it's vague what the heck that even means. It yep. sounds really like flowery a lot of the time too. Like, ooh, yeah. self-care. Like Gwyneth Paltrow is telling you how to like buy a bunch yep. of expensive products. <laughs> That's what I think of automatically yeah. and I, I'm trying to like reverse that. Right, like it doesn't have to mean spa day at home. Right. Yeah. Like yeah. for you doing the dishes is a way to, to break the pattern of mm-hmm. overthinking something and just give yourself like a little bit of space to not be doing that. Absolutely. And, and as a creative, I always uh, gravitated towards things like doing the dishes because it's such a non-creative thing. I mean, you're just cleaning stuff off of a plate and then drying yeah. it. Um, and, and to be able to get my mind out of that creative mindset and into something that's just so monotone for lack of better words um, it, it, it would often help and it's like for me too you, you mentioned you know self-care being this uh, buzzword thing lately I'm sure a spa day is nice I mean who doesn't like one especially these days but uh, you know even just something for three to five minutes it doesn't have to be a big long thing and, and it's amazing how much those little breaks can help during a day or during a week uh, especially if you're going through a stressful time yeah I, yeah for sure um, mm. I think something also that I was interested in bringing up is I've through my research, I found out that you were a full-time freelancer. And then mm-hmm. several years ago, you were like, I got a full-time job offer. I'm taking it. I'm going. I'm leaving yeah. full-time freelance behind. I'm curious, was that motivation because something to take care of yourself? Because I know as a freelancer, it's so hard to set boundaries. So mm-hmm. hard when you're like just trying to get work, trying to get work, waiting for your email. And it's like this feast or famine lifestyle, which it, it's been taking a lot for me to kind of like figure out in my brain on how to remain centered and balanced and grounded. So I'm curious Mm -hmm. if like those played into each other. Yeah, it's uh, so one thing that I learned about myself with freelance is I enjoy running a business, but it was starting to take a toll on me because I really do enjoy the creative process so much more. And that's really what kind of drove going back to a full-time job. I'm fortunate the law firm that I I work at, Reinhardt, Bern Vendor or Reinhardt, which we just call it for short. My boss came from the world of ad agencies and we actually have an in-house marketing department that I work in there as a a graphic designer. So I'm actually a creative for attorneys now outside of Mm. weekend and all this other stuff, which is uh, unique by itself. But one of the nice things was it, it was kind of the right opportunity at the right time that I had somebody who understood where I was coming from, the challenges I was facing, and then understanding that it wasn't just as easy as, as one day having to put on pants and, and you know, actually go to an office, um, <laughs> which was a struggle. Let's, let's be honest here a little bit. But, um, you know, just somebody who understood that there was going to be some challenges because I, at, at that point, I had been full-time freelance for about six years. It's difficult to walk away from something that you built like that. I think there was a little bit of denial that it wasn't working out the way I had wanted to and and that I did need to look for something different. And so, you know, definitely the support with uh, Chelsea, my wife, the support with my boss, 
helped make that transition easier, but I wouldn't paint it as an easy transition. Looking back now, I'm, I'm personally glad that I made that decision to to make that transition. It's opened up the opportunity for me to do things like Type Weekend or the YouTube channel now um, that I can create that space in my life. I think I even did a podcast episode on it too, but but it's something that you don't hear a lot about either, that a lot of people usually quit a job and then go to freelance. So yeah, I've always tried my best to share the story of, of kind of how real it was to go in the other direction, because I don't think you hear about that too often. You definitely don't. I think freelance is glorified a lot. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and idealized by pretty much everyone I've ever met. Mm-hmm. And I'm really curious just what the first couple days looked like. Like, yeah. I don't want to make you totally relive all of the struggles, <laughs> but maybe just a little bit, you yeah. know, because I think that's an interesting perspective. Yeah, so it was a little bit of a blur, to be honest. It was kind of getting back into the rhythm of needing to be somewhere at a specific time and then leaving said place at a specific time was one of the big challenges. Mm. And honestly, it was just getting back into the swing of uh, simple things like you've got a hallway and coworkers walking by and naturally when you're the new person of course everyone wants to stop and say hi and talk and introduce themselves hmm. so right off the bat one of my biggest challenges was getting used to the office environment again i was actually able to jump into the work pretty quickly because uh, it was actually very similar to a lot of what i was doing freelance uh, kind of bouncing between web work and print work because i went in-house was learning about the brand as it was the case then and, and still is now, I'm the only creative in the entire firm. Um, and we've mm. got 200 attorneys in, in eight different offices, which that puts a lot of pressure on me because I've got to make everybody look good naturally. But um, <laughs> <laughs> So that was really kind of the first few days of getting into a routine, getting my direction down. Because at that point, it had been uh, seven years or so since I had last been in an office. And it was not a challenge I was expecting, to be honest. I, I really thought it was going to be a deal where I could close a door or something like that and, and you know work like I was used to working. And the truth be told, and I, I still do this to this day, but I'm a person who works with music on or something in the background, and I couldn't just have a, a speaker blaring all the time anymore. I've, you know, you got to be respectful yeah. of everybody. But yeah, those are some of the, the initial challenges that I had. It's interesting how quickly I was able to get into the swing of things. I, that transition period was maybe a couple of days, maybe a week or so. I was fortunate that I, I came in with a good team who was very accepting and, of course, wanted to ask me a bazillion questions because <laughs> they, it's like, we've never seen a freelancer before. What is this? You know, it's, <laughs> oh, my um, God. You know, are, are, are you human? You know, you've got to <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's uh, in a nutshell, that was kind of how my first few days went. And yeah, it's uh, I think then four, four and a half years later, now I'm still there. I'm curious because I know, I mean, like you're helping organize Type Weekend. You do passion mm-hmm. projects on the side. Do you have any strategies that you can recommend to our listeners about, you know, how to balance that full-time life and freelance passion project life? I think that's yeah. really a difficult challenge sometimes. Yeah. So one thing, and it took a while to learn this, actually, this wasn't like day three of of working at at the firm full time, but it's amazing what you can get done on a lunch hour. For Mm. me, I started packing my laptop with, so I would kind of disappear off to a break room or whatever. And uh, it's a set time. It's a little bit of a constraint, but I I would work on a project and just see how far I would get in an hour. And uh, you know, one challenge there was I had to give myself permission or the understanding that I didn't have to finish it in that moment. A lot of my passion projects don't, you know, I guess aside from like Type Weekend, they don't have deadlines per se. Mm-hmm. So if it, if it took a month to work on a type project, like some of my initial type projects, it was just an hour at a time over a lunch break. And 
it's amazing what you can get accomplished in a week if you just kind of slowly chip away at it and, and break it up into smaller bite-sized pieces. That ended up being really helpful for me. And then just not putting pressure on myself, especially if it was like a type project. I wasn't going to go out and say, this needs to be done next week or something like that. I just, I kind of let the process flow and, and when it was done, it was done. I feel like that is also in the category of self-care. You just don't hear it described that way exactly, but it's sort of like just, you know what, this is a thing I want to be doing. So I'm not going to beat myself up and Mm -hmm. doing that is being nice to yourself, which is caring about your mental state. Absolutely. And and two, you know, back to the challenge about comparing myself, it's so easy to watch other people who you you think are starting, like in my case with type design at the same time as you, and then they they take off and it's like they just, they skyrocket and all of a sudden you see Mm -hmm. them on my fonts and, you know, they're all over Instagram and whatnot. I knew that wasn't going to be my path and I wasn't going to, you know, beat myself up or get mad at myself if I saw someone else doing that, that 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 I knew that as long as I was I was putting in that time and just you know effectively making it a habit is is what ended up happening you know eventually I got there it took a little bit longer but you know the journey was still fun still is fun I think that's actually profound advice for anybody who just noticed that like <laughs> making a habit like the consistency mm-hmm. is often more important than the amount of progress because if yeah. you can consistently make a little bit of progress mm-hmm. eventually like you can't even foresee where that's going to go. Absolutely. And and it was something that I kind of actually picked up from my high school art teacher. He was a wonderful mentor early on in my life. And one of the things he used to preach to me was how practicing art should be like someone practicing tennis after school. That there was a reason why you had tennis practice every day after school. You didn't have it just once a week and then hope you were magically better by the weekend for a a tennis match, it was kind of that same mentality that just chip away at it, work on one thing. It's for the type, I, I'm pretty sure I spent a couple of weeks just focusing on control characters. You know, that's four characters. That's all I had to worry about. Don't think about the rest of the alphabet or whatnot. It made the project more palatable. It didn't feel like this big monster that I had to crank out a full alphabet in one hour, which I, I would imagine even most pros would probably struggle <laughs> trying to get all those letters done in, in such a short amount of time. So just giving myself permission to just work at the pace that I was able to helped tremendously. I think that's really profound advice. I just finished the book Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell, where he talks about just really successful people in this world and like how do they get to where they are currently. And it's not some sort of genius, you know, it's not random. There are certain circumstances, but the biggest circumstance is getting the opportunity to put in a lot of hard work. And I think that seems very vague, but I think like what you're bringing into and a way to relate it back to here is, you know, giving yourself an hour a day to work on something. It's all going to add up. You're giving yourself opportunity to get hard work done and making that for you. And I think, you know, what you said about tennis practice, that's like a great new way to reframe the whole idea of making sure you're not just comparing yourself to everyone out there because everyone's putting in their hours, you know? Absolutely. And it's it's one of those things where uh, when I learn, it's I'm not going to sit down and learn a big glob of information once. It's when I have time to think about that that little thing that I learned. It, it Honestly, it started to stick with me a little bit better because then I had time to process it afterwards. Um, so I, I feel like the lesson kind of stuck a little bit more that way too. Yeah. I have a Shoot, couple... you guys, I'm getting inspired. What the heck? <laughs> This I know. Is really good advice. Yeah. I know. Daniel, we're just we're just writing this interview series so me and Micah can get free advice and then we oh, also just go. publish it to our yeah. community. 
I, sh- I should have had uh, inter- uh, guests on my podcast. Why didn't I think of this? Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> a small little hack. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I think it's really impressive that you're able to start some passion projects such as like your video series or your podcast series or even type weekend. And these are longer term, bigger undertakings and your type design as well. What suggestions would you have to give to someone that wants to start a new passion project for me? Like kind of starting is the hardest hump to get over. And I think everyone's always looking for like that ignition of motivation. Yeah. I usually try to be inspired by something because I've got to have that excitement right out of the box. And if I'm excited about something, if it's learning a new uh, process or a new task or anything like that, I always look for something there to start. On top of that, I try to make it fun when I'm starting out. I don't want to sit and immediately go into like serious mode or anything like that. Just keep kind of free flowing. Sometimes I'll even change up my approach. If I usually approach like a design problem in a certain way at work, for example, and I'm doing something fun on the side that might incorporate design, sometimes I might challenge myself. Maybe it's using different color palettes or different type or, um, you know, maybe even a different program if you want to get really adventurous. Um, Just find ways to have fun with it, kind of get outside of your comfort zone a little bit. Things like that tend to help out because it's easy to get into a routine and to get bored by that routine. And so these little things that just kind of shake up the status quo a little bit just to kind of keep my excitement. And then again, you know, same with, with the timeline things. Sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't, but you know, it, it's kind of like the lazy river kind of thing a little bit, you know, just see where it takes you. And, and sometimes you end up in some really cool places that, that might even be unexpected. I love to hear that. I saw even with your type, I think one of them, you like saw a toolbox and you looked at the type on the toolbox and like you create a whole alphabet from it. (laughs) Yeah. So um, in my free time, I enjoy woodworking and uh, I found this old toolbox uh, and it was all rusty and everything. I decided I wanted to kind of clean it up. And as I was cleaning the rust off, I noticed very, very vague letters and I'm kind of a purist when it comes to, to restoring things. So I was like, well, I can't just go find a a new typeface and put it on there. I've got to figure out what this was. So I spent way too much time with a camera, bright lights. I mean, it looked probably ridiculous if you didn't know what I was doing. Trying to get all of these pictures and capture as much of those shapes as I could. I think it said like shop toter or something like that. It had like this 50s-esque name to it, which was kind of funny. I, I just drew those letters. That's all that started as. But then, you know, like I had mentioned earlier, brain goes 10,000 miles an hour. It's like, well, I, I can't just leave it with those letters. You know, it's, <laughs> We're so close. We've got some control characters going on here, you know, and, and you see where this goes. A few months later, all of a sudden it's like, okay, now I've got an alphabet that I can type with. Um, <laughs> so it's, yeah, it, it was a fun little project to do. And again, you know, like with the passion projects and stuff, it was something that I was excited about. And that was actually an unexpected typeface project because I, I think at the time I had a million other things going on, but. But it's a small example, you know, I I didn't set any hard parameters outside of of what I had cleaned off on the original side of the toolbox and just to have fun. And and it's a totally different approach than I've ever taken with type before. So uh, nice way to, to change the status quo a little bit. Yeah. Sometimes the unexpected projects end up being your favorite ones. I do like that. Yeah, um, it's interesting how that works. <laughs> right? We are not done talking about Type Weekend, by the way. So <laughs> I have a couple. I have one question about when everyone at Type Weekend, the organizers, decided mm-hmm. to start and like where you guys started from. And then, you know, what the organizers really hope to see in the near, near future in the industry. You know, I think you guys are fostering this new narrative and community. Where do you see this going? 
basically. Yeah. The story starts out in one of my favorite places, which was holding puppies at TypeCon with Jess McCarty. Like every good story <laughs> starts out, right? Puppies and good people. And TypeCon. And TypeCon, naturally, which which was an amazing event. I actually kind of miss it, but you know, we didn't get a chance to have that this year. But no, we, we were talking about it because it, it was a wonderful gathering. And, and one of the things that we, we were discussing was that this is an in-person event. And it does take some work to get to wherever any of these events are hosting every year. And I think we had just listened to a really good presentation about diversity in type. And as we got talking about this and how accessible this type stuff is, it was like, you know, we're sitting there and it's like, well, why isn't this online? You know, so many other uh, industries have things online these days. You know, even in the legal industry, a lot of the things that I attend for learning more about uh, legal marketing are online. And, And so it brought up this discussion, why isn't type following suit here? So we ended up going through uh, the rest of TypeCon. You know, we're kind of mulling over this idea, like, where's this going to go? What are we going to do with this? Yeah, it was, I think, like January or February of this year, I finally reached out to to Jess under the guise of a coffee meeting. You know, hey, how's it going? Checking up, you know, because, um, you know, I, I, I met a lot of great people at TypeCon and it's like, I got to follow up with these people because I'm excited to be part of this community. You know, I said, we, we had talked about this conference. Well, I'm, I'm kind of a sucker for a domain name and I, I bought one called typeweekend.com and I got really excited. I think it was, again, one of those things where you wake up like early in the, the middle of the night or something and, oh, I've got this great idea. I've got to go register all these domains. And it's probably why I have almost 100 domains. I, I don't think this is an intervention, so we'll, we'll stay away from that. But, <laughs> um, but anyway, you know, we got talking. So once you have the domain, as you know, Micah, then that, of course, makes it official and it has to happen. Right. <laughs> We started talking about this a bit more, and of course, Jess gets excited. She she had been putting some more thought into this, and then it's it's the classic case of, hey, I was talking to this person or that person or whatever, and then all of a sudden, this email chain starts to form up, and then is uh, well, I guess a Skype call because we didn't quite have Zoom then. Um, <laughs> And, uh, you know, before you know, you've got all these people that are really excited about this and all of a sudden, you know, it's starting to shape up. Uh, So that's really what the, I guess, the uh, official, unofficial story of type uh, weekend is, puppies and then excited phone calls. (laughs) Of course, we had the pandemic hit in in March. So that kind of threw a little bit of a curveball to us because right off the bat, uh, a lot of people had to, you know, take care of, of stuff with themselves. You know, if it was jobs, their freelance companies, that kind of thing. And we did have a little bit of lull there trying to figure out, you know, what's going to happen here? How are we going to pull this off? And then, of course, all these conferences are like, hey, you know, we can't have these in person this year. So ultimately, we came back to the table and we decided with all the uncertainty and everything that's going on right now, uh, especially with all these type conferences and design conferences canceling, let's just go for it. And so it just kind of ballooned from that into kind of what we've been talking about. But really, our metric to, to kind of cycle around a little bit, uh, what I see for success is as wonderful as it was for me for TypeCon last year, that was my first TypeCon to, to be a fresh face in the room. It was exciting seeing the reaction from all of the people in the room who have been going to TypeCon for five, 10, 20 years that for them, they see a lot of familiar faces at these places. And I think that's awesome. But what I would really like to see in the coming years, whether it's TypeCon or Type Thursday or A Type I or any one of these organizations is to start seeing more new faces in the room. Or maybe there's some people who might be inspired by what we're doing to to find a new way to do this if it's online or otherwise. Ideally, it's just it's bringing more people to the table and, and to give them a place that, that they can bring their talents or their voice or their perspective on things. And, and one big thing we're learning with Type Weekend right now is 
when you bring so many people in from so many different places around the world, it's absolutely beautiful, the amount of stuff that's out there that we just haven't uncovered as a type industry yet. I'm really curious, like, is there something off the top of your head that you can think of, of like, wow, I didn't even, I never would have thought of that. Yeah, it's what I'm seeing right now is uh, a lot of different languages. I, I haven't really dove too deep into that. And and there's some languages that, that really don't have a lot of representation in the type industry yet that we're still mm. going through and figuring out how to digitize these languages. And so it's a two-part thing. It's as a type industry, we're trying to learn more about this. You know, how do we bring this into the fold as far as you know being able to type on a computer? In the same breath, it's the people from those that speak those languages that that are coming in. And you know, maybe they've been putting a pen to paper for years and years and years. So on one hand, we're getting them up to speed with the different software and you know how they can contribute but on the other hand they've learned some cool things as far as writing those characters you know maybe it's with a different writing tool than than we might be familiar with or mm. potentially a different approach um, so I, I think there's good information that can be passed back and forth in both directions there again like what I was talking about with the passion projects it's just that different perspective or that different approach that that maybe we haven't thought of yet uh, that might surface so I love that that is beautiful yeah. I mean, I'm coming from the event design industry where I worked for like a good couple years and it's, you know, really mm -hmm. sad and small right now yeah. <laughs> um, and ignored and not doing great. But, you know, when I talk to my event friends these days, we talk mm -hmm. about how virtual events, first of all, unlimited number of potential people being in your audience real events mm -hmm. very limited number of potential people yep. being in your audience and i think that that can open up so much accessibility in ways that mm -hmm. like we i don't even know if we were really considering fully and wholly before maybe the pandemic started and we had to start considering it. So I just think that like, yes, being digital makes it more accessible. I was really lucky. I've not been to TypeCon, but I did go to Typographics in 2017. The only way I was able to go, I got a scholarship from Society of Scribes. And my mind was opened and I was listening to these stories and I felt so inspired. I felt like my typographic heart was being warmed. I've never been exposed yes. to, you know, professionals and people at this great scale and this much of a network and community. I remember like mm -hmm. fangirling when I saw all these type designers <laughs> I knew, but you know, that, that would not have been possible without that scholarship. I think yeah. conferences, it's a lot of money. It's a lot mm -hmm. of travel. And I think that they're overall positive things, but you know, I'm really excited that type weekend is reverse engineering. Okay. So how can we make it more accessible? How can we reach a global audience? And like actually putting the effort towards that is so powerful. And like, I'm so excited. And I know you guys are working your butt off. I'm in the Slack like every yeah. day. And, you know, people are posting. And I think it's a really positive community. And, you know, Mike and I always talk about getting rid of this gatekeeping mechanism in the typographic mm -hmm. world. And like you said earlier, I think the industry really is for the first time, I think like actively progressing to get rid of that because they're seeing yeah. how many people are interested in type. And um, I think it's a really beautiful thing. It absolutely is. And and yeah, you, you touched on the kindness too. And that's that's one thing that, that I've enjoyed, uh, you know, whether it was TypeCon, which I attended last year, similar experience as you had with, with typographics, but even seeing as things are, are starting to pick up with Type Weekend as well is just... It's just like this big room where all of a sudden you've got all these people that are going, oh, these are my people. Like, this is where I need to be. Like, this is where I feel like I belong. Like, like people understand all these typographic terms and they don't give me weird looks when I use a word like tittle or something, you know? It's... <laughs> 
I listened to that episode too. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's, it, it's such an amazing feeling. And I, I feel for so long, you know, even on the, the graphic design side of things, it felt like the only way to do that was to be at one of these conferences and, and like you said, spend all that money and go traveling. And to be able to, to give people that opportunity, and I'm hoping, hoping, hoping that's the case with, with Type Weekend, and I think it will be, to, to somehow bring that via an online platform. If, if people are making new friendships or you know, things of that nature, I mean, even better. It's, if we're growing the type industry at the end of the day in, in a positive way, in a, in a wonderful way, I, I just have to say that I think we've, we've succeeded in every way. So fingers crossed that that's what happens. <laughs> I think it is what will happen. <laughs> um, I think it already has started to happen. One last question to round off this nice little discussion is who's a person working right now in the letter form world? So it'd be like lettering, typography, graphic design, branding design um, that you admire. Yeah, this this is a tough question because I think we could probably have a whole other podcast episode on just me <laughs> listing off people. <laughs> But I'm going to limit myself to two people. Um, uh, the first one is uh, Karen Chang. And like you mentioned, she's in the conferences here at Type Weekend. Um, I had to try my hardest not to fanboy. And if she's listening, uh, hopefully I succeeded. But, but I was so excited to see her, uh, her name pop up. Like I said earlier, you know, her book, I mean, it's practically worn out on my bookshelf. And when I was in a place where I didn't have access to a solid internet connection or to a school where I would have a teacher, I mean, she effectively was my first teacher. She just did it through pages of a book. And I, I didn't get to where I am now without that kind of help. So she's been one person that, that I've really admired. Uh, and the other person I'm going to surprise her a little bit was Jess McCarty. Uh, as an introvert, especially when I go to a conference, the desire to go and stand in the corner and not talk to too many people is very strong for me. I, I tend to be a very shy person. So side note to anybody listening, if you see me at a conference, I'm not you know, being mean or anything. Come up and say hi. I, I'll pop out of my shell. But when I went to TypeCon, that was the first time that I had met Jess face to face. And it was so wonderful the way she pulled me in and it was kind of a blur because it's like, I need you to meet this person, this person, this person, this person, this person. And to do that out of the goodness of her heart from, from some random person that she just messaged on Instagram, you know, a couple years prior, probably going, who's this guy, you know? I mean, that was just, it was a wonderful thing to have someone basically open that gate or open that door and say, here's this wonderful world. Here's all of these wonderful people, you know, and, and not only that, but let me introduce you. Let me help you build the friendships and build the connections in this industry. I mean, those, those two women, without them, I would probably be sitting here still listening to the show and not actually on uh, the weekly typographic or even be doing something like Type Weekend. So I, I, owe, I think I owe a lot to both of them for, for where I'm at. I think my heart just exploded. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also, you know, amazing to hear type is a mainly male world. I'm just going to say yeah. that is the female in this room and to hear like two yes. women that were really inspirational and making a difference Absolutely. inspires me. And I hope like inspires a whole new generation of creators out there. Absolutely. And if, if it's women and just anybody from any background, uh, you know, on the gender spectrum or, you know, all these other things that I'm probably forgetting about right now. But, uh, you know, it's like I said, you've got so many perspectives, so many backgrounds and so many amazing people doing amazing things. And um, it just it, it warms my heart seeing all of these people that if they're writing a book like Karen or if they're just doing something simple like Jess was to pull somebody in who is new and be like, you got to meet all these people. Um, it, it's just, it's wonderful to see it. Man. Well, I'm 
very feel very fulfilled in my heart, in my creative soul, in my motivation soul right now. Um, Is there any other, you know, shout outs you want to say before we wrap things up? It's the yoga time where you just got to do what you want at the end of class. There's no rules. So go ahead. Uh, Any other things? Probably not going to have enough time. So I'm just going to have to kind of put this under an umbrella term. But but to anybody and everybody who's involved with with Type Weekend, if it's a volunteer, anybody on our staff, anybody who's presenting, speaking, including you, Olivia, or even if you're just attending, I just I want to say deep down in my heart, thank you, thank you, thank you, because it's a big thing to put something like that out in the world, and and you know all of us were putting our heart and souls into it, and to be honest, this conference would not be a success without all of those people. I I can't do it on my own, uh, you know, just Thomas, Aaron, Anaga, and I. We all can't do that on our own. It, it it takes a village, and right now to see that village getting along and just doing their thing is is one of the most amazing things I I think I've ever uh, got to experience. And I I can't say thanks enough. It's amazing. Um, so yeah, I, I guess that's that's kind of my my yoga time, if you will. Is is just being thankful for that. Yeah, even with my YouTube channel as well. Um, it's been wonderful as that's been progressing, seeing how many people have reached out to me, mostly privately, you know, some people are shy, but to reach out and just to say, you know, hey, I watched your series on designing a font. You know, I've been getting a couple of those emails lately. Uh, it's really been exciting to finally see people just take that first step and and do their first font and stuff like that. That's what keeps me going. That's that's what I'm excited to see. Seeing other people get the courage uh, to to pick up a new tool or you know even just to celebrate their own success as well and to know that I played a part in that is just it's mind blowing. Totally, yeah. Daniel. Thank you for coming yes. on the show. I knew you were going to have a great conversation. <laughs> um, I don't know if listeners know, me and Micah have been hyped all week about this. Deep down, thank you for making the time to, you know, share your insights and advice. Yes, for anybody listening, let's throw in a quick details of how to find out more about Type Weekend, when it is, that kind of stuff. Give us the yeah. rundown. Yeah. So Type Weekend, it's T-Y-P-E-W-K-N-D.com. And that has all of our links if you want to find us on all the social media places. And it's also got all the handy dandy register buttons. You can go through, you can see our amazing, amazing speaker lineup. You can get the schedule and and be all set with your ticket to, to join us on September 24th through the 27th. We'll be live streaming. And a quick side note too, if you aren't able to catch the conference during that weekend at a later date, we will be uh, posting all of the speeches to YouTube and I'm excited to announce but we don't have all the details yet that we will be working on translating as many of these as we can so if it's already not being presented in your language hopefully hopefully we'll get it there yeah that's beautiful to our listeners if you want to follow Daniel his Instagram handle is at daniel.nisbet d-a-n-i-e-l dot N-I-S-B-E-T. And his portfolio is at niz.bet. N-I-S dot B-E-T. 